You are listening to Primary Care Perspectives, a podcast where pediatric experts from Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and other guests discuss primary care issues that are on their minds and the hot topics that all pediatricians see affecting their daily practice. This podcast is for general informational and educational purposes only and is not to be considered as medical advice for any particular patient. Clinicians must rely on their own informed clinical judgment in making recommendations to their patients. Hi, I'm Dr. Katie Lockwood, a primary care pediatrician at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and today I'm talking about pediatric cancer, particularly in the setting of the pandemic. Joining me is Dr. Julie Stern, who's also at CHOP in the Division of Oncology. Thank you so much for joining me today, Julie. Katie, thank you so much for having me. It's really really nice to be back. Yes, people might remember our last episode on lymphadenopathy, which they should go back and listen to. That was before the pandemic. And now we're talking about particularly how children with cancer may present differently during the pandemic, which interestingly was not something that I had really considered until you and I had talked. So let's get into it. Primary care pediatricians are frequently involved in the diagnosis of many pediatric cancers. Yet during the COVID-19 pandemic, fewer children are seeking care in the office due to social distancing. So Julie, how is this impacting the early detection of pediatric cancers? Katie, thanks so much for asking that question. Um, You know, I think we're all struggling at this point with how to provide the best and most timely care for all of our patients. For many of us, telehealth and seeing patients, you know, in their car potentially is a really different way of assessing a patient. And it may be difficult to find subtle findings that may be more obvious in person or in an exam room where you feel more comfortable and where you know we're used to really providing our care. So I think in this setting, um, one of the most important things is getting a very careful history. As usual, the devil is in the details and spending some time and really trying to assess what a patient or what a family is worried about, what types of symptoms the child is having, and really delving into that history can be really helpful. Mm-hmm. In terms of the physical exam assessment, really try to optimize what you're able to see. And it's difficult on the phone. I've been doing some telehealth myself. And it's difficult to assess power. It's difficult to assess how comfortable or uncomfortable a child is. But trying to observe how the child is interacting with the parent may be very helpful. So how might this be impacting the early detection of cancer? Are kids presenting later than they typically would? So that's a great question. Early on in the pandemic, we actually had several weeks where we had no new patients presenting to the Leukemia and Lymphoma Service at CHOP. And that's unusual for us. We generally have several new patients every week. And early on in the pandemic, we actually went for multiples of weeks without new patients. And we were concerned that there were patients out there with new diagnoses that just had not yet presented either to their pediatrician or to the emergency room or come to care in some other way. That has fortunately improved over the past couple of weeks, and we seem to be picking up again. But there is concern that patients, because they are nervous for whatever reason to seek care or don't recognize that their child's illness is not just a typical illness, but maybe due to a malignancy, that some patients are presenting more acutely ill than they would have at other times. Sometimes this is due to more severe cytopenia. So if you have a child with leukemia who might have come to the hospital with a hemoglobin of six, 
Now they're coming to the hospital with a hemoglobin of two or three. Mm. And clearly the heart strain and respiratory compromise that that presents would increase the severity of illness at the time of diagnosis. I do want to stress, however, though, that this is not unique to this time period. Just because of the pandemic, while we're worried that this is potentially happening more frequently, there have always been children over the past, you know, decades that have presented further along in their illness. I don't want to blame it on the pandemic in particular, but just to have sort of a heightened awareness that patients might be sicker at the time they come in to us. Generally, though, as long as they get over whatever acute presentation they have, in general, in pediatrics, a delay to diagnosis does not change treatment options or prognosis in the long run. That is, of course, assuming that you can treat whatever acute illness they had at the time that they presented. That's good to know. That's always primary care pediatricians' fear, right, is that delaying a diagnosis is going to cause the child harm, but it's good to know that it's not a significant contributor to their prognosis or treatment options. Yes, as long as, you know, if you present with sepsis, right. if you get over your sepsis, your prognosis is not going to change. But sepsis at diagnosis in particular is a concern. So we'll keep reassuring our patients that we are there for them if they need us so that they feel comfortable presenting earlier rather than later. Absolutely. Very key. And so typically, what are some of the most common early presentations of a malignancy that we should be paying attention to? You mentioned pallor, but what else? What other things might we see or hear the parent present? So it really depends on what type of cancer the child has. And that is obviously will raise your radar for certain things. But the most common form of childhood cancer are both brain tumors and leukemias. And so for leukemia, you're really looking for signs or symptoms of cytopenias. So fever or infections that don't seem to be healing up, skin infection that maybe is more resistant than you would expect, ear infections or ear pain that's kind of hanging on for longer than you would think, fever, malaise, easy bruising, maybe the child's having more nosebleeds than's typical for them, or the nosebleeds are difficult to have stop. Some children will present with bone pain or a change in their appetite, their weight, or their activity level. Mm -hmm. Those are really things associated with leukemia. But there are other things that we worry about as well, and those include signs of respiratory changes or respiratory distress. Patients with mediastinal masses may have difficult laying flat. They may be using more pillows to sleep. Their face may be swollen in the morning, or they may have pedal edema in the evening. Those types of things would be unusual for COVID, but might raise your level of suspicion for a malignancy. Abdominal masses can present in early childhood. And then in terms of other more adolescent type of tumors, soft tissue swelling or bone pain, more associated with some of the, the bone tumors. And some of those symptoms overlap with viral illnesses. And in the setting of COVID, I'm thinking about you know the symptoms you mentioned of fever and respiratory really overlap with what we're telling families to look out for in terms of COVID. So in what ways might a malignancy be mistaken for COVID-19? There is so much overlap. This is so hard. I am not at all envious of your position <laughs> as general pediatricians because it's always been challenging to sort out who has, you know, a typical common cold, who has the flu versus somebody who's presenting with a new malignancy. So this is tough. And I think even more heightened in this period of time when we're worried about COVID and we're worried about making the right assessment. 
So I think one of the important things to keep in mind is to not let the presence of COVID in our community really limit our thinking when it comes to assessing a child who's in front of us. Mm -hmm. So there are things that do overlap, like fever and respiratory symptoms, but there's other things that would be less common with COVID that might be more common with malignancy, such as generalized adenopathy, tachycardia that's really out of proportion to a fever. Most children with mediastinal mass may have mild hypoxia, but hypoxia is not a real big part generally of uh, malignancy, but it's more associated with a respiratory illness such as COVID or other viral symptoms. Right. My understanding is that patients with COVID generally don't have problems with thrombocytopenia. So the presence of bruising and petechiae would raise your suspicion of more of a malignant process. Mm-hmm. And then I think the other thing is, what is the patient's social situation How well is the family socially distancing? Is there a family history of exposures? Is there something in the family that makes you feel that, you know, they're at a higher risk for developing COVID? Or is this the only person in the household who's sick? If it's only the child that's sick, I mean, COVID is certainly possible, but it would seem unusual if there weren't any other ill contacts within the family. So that's another time to be thinking more about a malignancy. Right. And like you said, it seems like it is really about the details so that we take in all of those things together to figure out whether or not we're actually talking about COVID or if we should still be thinking about those other things like malignancies. During this pandemic, as you mentioned, telemedicine has become more popular and there are limitations in how well telemedicine can be used to detect subtle signs like petechiae or physical exam findings like the enlarged nodes that you mentioned. So how can we be vigilant and screen for malignancies when we're doing telemedicine? Yeah, that's a great question too. So I, I always you know, talk about practicing with a questioning attitude. I know it's a cliche, but it really works. You know, Really think about what it is that this family or this patient is presenting to you. I mean, it's really uncommon for a family to come in and say, I think my kid's got cancer. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's not usually what happens, right? I mean, families may be thinking it, but they're often not expressing it. And usually they're not thinking it at all. They're really thinking it's something else. So you have to be the one to have that high level of suspicion. Right. So I would say in terms of telemedicine, if you don't like what you're seeing on the video or something seems off, it just doesn't seem right to you, really encourage families to come in for an in-person visit. I think sometimes there's nothing like actually seeing the patient in front of you and laying your hands on them to really understand what's going on. Mm -hmm. And reinforce the families that you're taking all the safety precautions necessary in order to have their child seen in a safe manner. We have the appropriate PPE. We know how to handle the COVID situation. We know how to keep our patients safe. We know how to keep our parents safe. And we know how to keep ourselves safe. Parents and old children will be masked when they come in to see us. And I think just really working with families to acknowledge their anxiety about coming in for in-person care, but still recognizing when that is really an important part of what you need to do in order to appropriately evaluate somebody. Mm -hmm. Right. I think that is an important point for us to remember. We've been so good at keeping kids out of the office when they don't need to be here, but remembering that there's still many times when an in-office visit is going to be best. Absolutely. So now that we're all anxious about missing a cancer presentation, can you give us some of the epidemiology? So how common are pediatric cancers and what is the most common type? So that's a great question too, because 
you know, we have to remember that the presentation of our regular childhood illnesses or common childhood illnesses are still happening in the background here. So there are approximately 15 to 16,000 new patients diagnosed each year in the United States between the ages of birth and 19 years of age who present with a new diagnosis of cancer. Mm. And the incidence for uh, new diagnoses has increased slightly over the past five decades, but really not substantially. I think I read somewhere earlier today that the incidence went from 11 in 100,000 patients to 14 in 100,000 patients. Mm. So it has increased a little bit over 50 years, but not really dramatically. There are approximately one in 285 children in the U.S. diagnosed with cancer prior to their 20th birthday. Hmm. And in the U.S. right now, it's estimated to be 375,000 survivors of childhood cancer currently ages 20 to 39. Hmm. That's great. The most common forms of cancer continue to be leukemia and brain tumors. And these each account for about 25% of the total number of children diagnosed with cancer each year in the U.S. The other 50% is made up of all the other tumors that we see, including lymphomas, which is about 11% of patients, both Hodgkin's and non-Hodgkin's, Wilms tumor, germ cells tumors, and thyroid cancer approximately account for 6% each. Neuroblastoma is about 4% of patients. And then the other tumors, which are much more rare, rhabdo, retinoblastoma, and melanoma are about 2% each. And why is it that over the past 50 years, pediatric cancers are inclining? I know you said it's not a huge increase, but why is the number going up? That's a good question. I think some of it is earlier recognition. I think obviously our diagnostic techniques are a little bit different. For brain tumors, for example, you know, there may have been patients 50 years ago who we didn't have as good imaging studies and imaging modalities to make those diagnoses early on. Mm -hmm. Some of it may be environmental a little bit. I don't think that's a huge part of it. I'm not as familiar with the epidemiology statistics in terms of why the number has gone up, but certainly it's not rapidly increasing. It's certainly not associated with things like high wire or overhead electrical wires and things like that. There's been a lot of data to look at if there are those types of environmental factors. And, and to our knowledge, it's not really, those are not the things that are contributing substantially. So if we are worried about a patient presenting with a leukemia, let's say, since that's one of the more common things that we see in primary care, what should our initial lab workup include? So the most important thing is getting a CBC. Almost every patient with leukemia will have an abnormality in their CBC in some way. Mm -hmm. There's the really rare patient that makes us all very nervous who comes in who has a normal CBC and ends up having leukemia, but that is a vanishingly small number of patients. There's usually something in the CBC that makes you worried or concerned. And getting a differential is obviously very important. Mm -hmm. If you have a high level of suspicion, you really want to have somebody manually look at that differential smear preferably a pediatric hematopathologist, but that's not available in all locations. But you just really want to give a heads up to the lab that you are worried about this. Depending on your level of suspicion, in addition to a CBC, getting a CMP, a phosphorus, a uric acid, and LDH is incredibly helpful to assess for any electrolyte abnormalities, as well as renal function. And then finally, getting a PT and a PTT as there are some rare forms of leukemia that also are associated with coagulopathies, and that's important to know at the time of diagnosis. In addition to labs, getting a chest x-ray is really helpful because you really want to look to make sure that you are assessing for a mediastinal mass. 
Thanks for giving us some tips about where to start because I think sometimes people are overwhelmed by whether they should just start with a CBC or if they should include more and kind of how much more, right? Sometimes we can overdo it with our labs too. So it's nice to have a refined list of where to start. And there's no right or wrong to this. It really depends on your level of suspicion, you know? So if you just do the CBC and it comes back and it's really abnormal, you're going to call us and we'll get the rest of the labs. It's okay. But if you have that information, if you remember to get it, it can be helpful, but it's not the end of the world if it has to be done later. And I can imagine how hard it is to receive a cancer diagnosis at any time. But during a pandemic, I'm sure that parents and patients are worried about how that's going to complicate their care and their health. Are you seeing a lot of cancer patients with COVID-19? Is that a risk that they need to worry about during this time? So we have seen some overlap, but I will tell you it has not been tremendous. We always worry about patients who come in with a new diagnosis of cancer, especially leukemias, where your immune system may already be compromised and whether you have concurrent infections happening at the same time. But I think the important thing to remember is that we are always here to care for whatever it is that your child presents with. We have a system in place to make sure that we are assessing everybody for COVID, especially if they need to be admitted to the hospital. There are very robust testing capabilities available, and families should not be worried about picking up COVID once they're admitted. We are very, very careful in terms of our infection control processes and things like that. So we know how easily accessible CHOP oncology is to us typically. Can you tell me how this has changed or hasn't changed at all during the pandemic? Are you still offering the same services? And maybe what are you doing that's new? So I absolutely want people to rest assured that we are always available just in the way that we were prior to this pandemic. The easiest way to reach us most quickly is through the 1-800-TRY-CHOP line. The other alternative is to call the oncology referral phone, which is 1-888-ONC-CHOP, which is 662-2467. That has not changed. We are always available for a phone consultation, and we can work together to have the patient seen. Our fellow is available after hours, and that is the way in an urgent situation uh, with a new diagnosis to have patients evaluated. Mm -hmm. Some of the processes may have changed, certainly in terms of admissions to the hospital. For any reason, patients are being screened for COVID, not just with our questioning, but also with actual testing. Mm -hmm. But a fear of COVID should not delay somebody's ability to access care. Um, And we want to reassure our patients, we want to reassure the public, we want to reassure our referring physicians that the access to care remains the same. We do have new telemedicine availability. I don't think that would necessarily be appropriate if you think a patient has a new oncology diagnosis, but we are certainly using it in certain situations, you know, hematology issues, new patients for that. Sometimes families are coming in and getting labs and then we're doing the visit by phone or by video. So that is a new access point, which has been really nice. Mm -hmm. But rest assured, we are here in the same way that we have always been to provide the highest level of care possible. Great. Thank you. That's so good to know. And similarly, their CHOP pediatricians are available to them. And so it's nice to know that we have our oncology partners in this. So thank you so much for all the care that you provide to our patients and for helping us be aware that there may be particular challenges to diagnosing pediatric cancers during the pandemic and things that we should be looking out for and knowing when appropriately to refer. So thanks for clarifying all of those things for us today. 
Of course, it's my pleasure. It's really one of the best parts of my job is partnering with physician colleagues around the area. So thank you, Julie. Thank you for listening to this episode of Primary Care Perspectives. You can download and subscribe to future episodes on iTunes or visit chop.edu slash PCP podcast for a listing of all episodes. I look forward to our next chat.